Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan. My intentions for this podcast are as follows. Number one, to break the veil of silence that has long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught kundalini yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. Number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, to process their own emotions, to get somatic therapy and other therapy and support as needed, to draw your own conclusions, and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please send me an email at gn at gurunishan.com. If you'd like to support with a donation, you can donate at gurunishan.com forward slash uncomfortable conversations. On today's episode, I wanted to um, give a little shout out to the reparations program that is going on right now within the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. There are two main areas um, that you may qualify, and it's important that we all are supporting each other to get the word out as the deadline is approaching on August 19th to register. So the first stage of this process is to get registered with your claim if you feel you may be eligible in the two main areas of eligibility. The reparations, it's called the Independent Healing and Reparations Program of Sikh Dharma Community is available to all of us. And if you don't have access to this document, it was sent out um, through the EPS. Uh, it's on the EPS website and um, it was sent out. However, I'm going to read the two main areas that you may be eligible so that you can hear what these are. 
And the concept of today's episode is really to spread this information so that you listening to it can spread this to another person who may be eligible to get registered by the August 19th deadline. After that registration and eligibility is confirmed, then the process will begin. And all of that is detailed in the reparations protocol. So there are two main areas um, subject to administrators individualized claim review. The following reports of harm are eligible for reparations through the program. The first area is claims of harm experienced by any student or other minor from the community who attended a community-affiliated or community-promoted boarding school program in India, community ashram exchange program, community-run camp, or other community-run youth program, regardless of when the harm occurred, including sexual abuse, physical abuse, and emotional or mental harm, whether perpetrated by a staff member or peer, or other harm related to poor conditions at the school camp for which the school camp had responsibility and control. Okay, so that's number one. Essentially the minors, okay? Any second gen, anybody who came in as a minor and experienced community life, ashram life, camp life, school life, uh, community-run youth program, anything within the organization that you participated in as a minor and experienced sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional or mental harm from a peer or a staff member or the, the leader that was in charge. This is important, peer or staff member. The other area in which you may be eligible is other claims of sexual abuse perpetrated by any non-school-related community leader or member within institutional control, regardless of when the harm occurred. So this is anybody else, you say you're a yoga student or you joined into 3HO Sikh Dharma and you experienced sexual abuse by a, by a leader or member within institutional control. So if you got abused by YB himself, if you got abused by other leaders, yoga teachers, um, other leaders, that were in institutional control, um, not just somebody, but somebody that was a leader or a member within institutional control. So there are a lot of those of you that might fit that category, or you may know somebody that has never spoken out about the sexual harm they've experienced, and yet they fit that category. It's really important that a claim is made and can be made again on the website directly on your own. And you and there is a facilitator that's available to support you to do that. That's hired through the attorneys that are hired by SSSC for this reparations program to occur. Now, there is a law firm called Justice Law Collaborative. And this is a law firm that is advocating and um, uh, working for many uh, people starting all the way back in 2020. And um, many people signed on as, as the initial like lawsuit, then they found that um, law firm. And what I've come to learn, because I have to be honest, um, I haven't paid any attention really to anything that um, Sikh Dharma as a sissy puts out, because I don't really have a lot of trust or faith in the institutions in which I was raised in. 
Um, I do have a lot of trust and faith in the hearts of the people who may be running them, but the institutions themselves um, have have showed me who they are over the years. So I, I haven't paid a lot of attention. But what I do pay attention to is other second generation that are more involved, that have been on the advisory councils with the Just Outcomes Reparations Group, um, or, or I should call it like Independent Healing Program. And back in 2020, when I was asked to be on the, the Just Outcomes Healing Program, I, I declined because I realized that my lack of trust in the organization superseded my desire to invest time and energy. So I invest time and energy on this podcast. It's my way of doing it. I have faith and I love those second generation that have invested time and all of the people who've invested time to be a part of um, bringing forth um, any protocol that could possibly offer healing. And so the only reason I started paying attention really to Justice Law Collaborative was because they'd recently had done a webinar that really informed me about this process. Um, earlier than that, a second generation um, advocate, uh, trauma healing advocate that is quite vocal, sent an email out and kind of gave some background and scoop on who Justice Law Collaborative is. And so I want to kind of give a little scoop because what I've come to learn is that it's quite helpful for any of us that are filing claims to not do this by ourselves, but to actually have representation, to actually have advocacy and um, to be able to name our harm. Um, I know for myself to be able to reframe my life and my upbringing in a way that um, explains the harm that occurred is, is quite challenging because I, I don't have the full scope and vastness of, of the impact um, and the impact uh, of that trauma on my life today. And yet I do know it impacts it quite um, distinctly. And I'm barely learning and barely scratching the surface on what that means. So I want to give you a little background on who Justice Law Collaborative is, because um, this firm is available to help you do your claim, as well as to represent you through the entire process. And from what I've investigated, it seems like it's the simplest um, process that allows us to get the advocacy and support we need in a process that's not simple at all. Because diving into um, traumatic history, especially when we framed it in a way that we might not even see it as traumatic, um, because it has survived us and it's made us who we are, these things are very challenging to face and to see and to uh, much less to rehash. So all the support we need. So I want to give you a little background on uh, this reparations program. So a fellow second gen had sent out some background and it just helps to have a little understanding of the backstory. And back in September, 2020, a handful of second gens um, signed on with as clients with this law firm named Ken Dogerty. And with the hopes of bringing some kind of mediation, settlement of lawsuit or lawsuit to 3HO's governing nonprofit court, corporations, the SSC, et cetera. So, um, the process was something that has taken a time, right? There was a group of people that, that signed on with this law firm. And over the past two years, Kim Dogerty and her firm, Justice Law Collaborative, have presented our cases to SSSC's defense lawyers. They have gathered copious school camp, youth program documentation from us and, and SSSC's uh, from SSSC's defense. And the process has been slow. And for a while, it looked like everything was stalled. Or then um, 
whether or not 3HO was even going to respond. Um, so the Just Outcomes thing was going on. The Compassionate Reconciliation groups were happening all, all in the last couple of years. And it just kind of seemed like not much was going on. Okay. Now, fast forward. Because of this lengthy process, the Kim Dogerty and JLC has been able to pr provide critical input to the reparations program and make the demands of their initial clients is what this reparations consists of. And they have been instrumental in shaping the nature, the language, and the terms of the program that was recently announced on the epsweb.org website called the Independent Healing and Reparations Program. I feel it's important to say this because I do believe it matters who is behind it. What's kind of phenomenal is that SSSC did adopt and implement nearly all of JLC's demands. And it's kind of like the group of people that were strong enough to, to kind of move forward to try to do a lawsuit, but wanted more than that. They wanted a way that, that there could be lasting impact that include more people. And so some of those demands that this reparation protocol includes is the requirement that all the reparations be administered by an independent third party whose professions and reputations rest on the success of the program from a claimant's point of view, that there's no cap on the final total amount of the independent claims administrators um, that, they, that they submit to SSSC, that the independent claims administrator's submission is binding for SSSC, and, but it's not binding for the claimant, that a claimant can reject a settlement and request a reconsideration or pursue other legal routes if they find it unsatisfactory, that a claimant's identity and personal story is shielded from SSSC throughout the entire process. So the orgs, SSC, 3HO, nobody will hear your personal story as you submit a claim. And this is really important. The claimant testimony will not be challenged, dragged out, or cross-examined. Verification would be the most that's asked of you, although you are welcome to say as much as you want. You won't be required to sign an NDA, and you can continue to tell your story if you want to even after accepting a claims offer. This is really important. So you're not muted. You can be a part of this process and you can still be able to tell your own story um, as we go further and as you are, are continuing your healing process. Um, so this is just really an understanding of where this reparations program came from. It came from a group of people that originally found Justice Law Collaborative. They've been doing copious amounts of research. And now this process is open to all of us. And the question is, do you go do this claim process on your own and try to dig these things up on your own? Or do you hire a firm too? Now there's no upfront fee. We're just paying the fee on the back end. And this is kind of standard in, in operations or in um, services like this um, with, with a law firm with a case like this. And personally, this is what made me start paying attention. I watched the webinar by GLC, JLC and it was a bunch of different questions and it really helped the focus come into um get everything focused for me to really understand that this is a legal process. And for us to explain our story in the realm of, of the impact of growing up in a 
cult and institutional abuse and all of the realm of what those things mean, no, not, not one of us has the capacity to do that on our own, right? And this is what advisory support um, is about, right? And this is what we pay for. We pay for professionals to help us be able to represent in language that makes sense to the receiver of that information so that we have um, collective where all of our stories that are similar and just like on this podcast, there's a tapestry that gets created as we share our stories. There are themes and there are symptoms that we collectively share because of early abuse. And so when you have representation that can kind of see that from the larger perspective and, and, and take our personal case, but also put it against the landscape of the collective, it really only makes sense that we would take the support of JLC in, in or any representation that you choose to find, but get some representation, please. That is my personal uh, testimony. And as this second, as this letter um, shared and this second generation shared with me uh, that, you know, they share that it has been helpful for me to have legal counsel because I can ask them any question I want at any time and get professional uh, professional clarification. At this point, it's really important to understand that it's not at all a requirement and it won't affect your outcome one way or another if you're representing yourself or you get um, legal counsel and yet to be able to really make a case for the scope of harm and the impact that has had on your life in present day, um, the more if we if you have legal count what i discovered by listening to the jlc webinar by having legal counsel i'm getting support to be able to take my personal story out of the personal and see it on a much larger landscape in which they've already done research and have experts um, from um, people that help to validate the things that occur in our everyday experience and might be normalized to us um I hope it helps you in making a more informed decision on your own behalf and know that this process is available um, and JLC is available and we'll make sure you have all of that will be in the show notes that so you have the email. Um, but the process for me was really, I had tuned into that email and then when I tuned into the JLC webinar, I realized, oh, okay, if we go the independent healer route, right? And sorry, the independent facilitator route, which means we do our own claim and then we, you know, that that facilitator supports us. It says on the website of Louis Roca, who is the attorney for um, SSSC, that, you know, this independent facilitator is there for our emotional support as we tell and share our claim. But emotional support is different than advisory counsel. And I think this is a very important element that each of us really need to register on a, a very unique individual basis that we may suffer from GI digestive issues and other sorts of symptoms in our everyday life that we might not identify as linked to childhood trauma or adverse childhood um, attach, uh, attachment and um, you know, 
all of the things that have just been normal in our everyday lives growing up in the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. So sometimes we can't see ourselves in our own picture frame. So to have advisory council where you get to tell your story, then they take your story and they help you as advisors to make the best claim on your behalf, keeping in mind that they have many other clients that also create a scope of harm that's bigger than you because our abuse wasn't just personal, right? It was also community. It was co collective. Um, and depending on your particular type of abuse, you have a, a personal story as well. And so it's important to know that when you seek legal help directly, your personal story is tended to because that is uniquely your own and all of it matters. You're not on your own and it's okay to seek professional support. So Justice Law Collaborative is available to all of us and they will support you in getting your claim registered by the deadline and to move forward in the process going forward. If you've already registered, you can still reach out to Justice Law Collaborative and work with them if you so choose and they can help you with the forward process. I also feel that there may be a benefit in the collective of more of us being a part of one group because we are um, similar in a lot of our experiences as minors, especially in the second gen group. Um, and there, that may be the case for those that have had sexual harm as well from, from different leaders in the organization. So I want to say that it's really important right now that if you have not filed your claim um, to make sure you get registered for that initial step and Justice Law Collaborative can help you do that. Please contact them um, as soon as possible. The deadline is July, uh, sorry, August 19th, but for them to help you do that, you need to contact them earlier, like by the 12th, okay? Information in the show notes, or you can email Justice Law Collaborative at survivors support at justicelc.com. It will be in the show notes. What happened with me is I decided after the webinar to set my intake. I was going to do it actually beforehand. It made sense, but this really solidified it for me. And I did my intake and it took about two hours and it was, you know, quite emotional. And um, the process has begun but it felt really good to know that um, I had advocacy and that along the way, if I do have questions, I have someone I can reach out to. Um, so that is my stance. I want to encourage you to get the webinar if you haven't um, and you are needing support, please reach out to me directly. In addition, there's been a lot of conversation about this um, in the second gen Facebook group and different people have kind of had different stances, but I wanted to share some other points, um, some other voices of second gen and how they have come to the choice that they've come to, to get registered and to get, uh, the representation they've chosen accordingly. And so this was a really great perspective that I think, um, is an important one to share and I'm going to go ahead and read it. So this is, a. A second gen younger than me attended Mitty Pity, and this is what he has to say about the reparations program. The more I've thought about it, 
the more clear I am that going with a lawyer is the right call for most people in this situation. As easy to approach and casual as the organizations might try to make this process seem, it is still a legal process and the independent allocator is accountable to both sides and is being paid by the organization, which means if a claim is submitted that has no backing evidence or testimony of any kind, then the allocator would be well within reason and possibly professionally obligated to account for that potential lack of credibility in their award. I would be surprised if approaching it this casually as a subtle tactic by the SSSC or the orgs themselves. And when he says orgs, he's talking about SSSC, 3HO, Kundalini Yoga, like we call them the orgs. So I'm just going to keep using that. Or at least a pleasant side effect to prevent people from presenting more credible claims. The fact that so many people were surprised when the attorney would recommend um, rejecting a large amount um, makes me strongly believe many people would be represented by, uh, should be represented by a lawyer. Having language to prevent sharing how much was offered or awarded can benefit your privacy, but it also is a mechanism that works in their favor for trying to award people as little as possible without folks being able to compare in relative terms. When you're financially disadvantaged because you and your family were taken advantage of by a cult since childhood, 50 grand can seem like a lot of money. One misconception I feel like I'm seeing is that some people think that the allocator will be doing extensive work to validate your individual claim and determine its credibility, like calling folks to corroborate claims you make. And maybe I'm wrong, but I really don't get the impression that going, that's going to be happening at all. It seems like you have the opportunity for an interview, but beyond that, I think you can choose to have this work done to build your claim ahead of time or not. When I'm making a tough decision like this, I try to think through people's motivations, and it often helps me. What is the motivation of the orgs? It is to mitigate financial and legal risk. I assume they had their lawyers do an assessment of their liability, and it came back as a very high number. And let's say hundreds of millions of dollars. And this is their way of trying to get ahead of the problem to hopefully pay less and get a better PR angle than the alternative. This is not some benevolent action on the part of the organization. It's business-minded pragmatism. Now, imagine you're the allocator. You've been hired by the orgs or their lawyers and are being paid by them to handle this process. Your motivations that align with the interests of the orgs are clear. They hired you to do this job. Obviously, they want it to be successful while paying as little as possible. Your motivations that align with us seem to be that if you don't offer enough to claimants to make this process successful, you have failed at making the reparations program successful, and it might impact your ability to find future work. But in my mind, the amounts you offer have to be defensible to the org. So if you have to have two claimants who experience similar trauma and one is backed by legal team, and expert statements and corroborative statements and well-coached personal interview, and the other is page someone wrote, probably not particularly well, given they were likely in a severely emotional state, dredging up past trauma, what will the outcome be? It's hard for me to imagine they would be awarded the same. I feel like most people in that situation would likely give at least a little less 
and possibly a lot to account for the potential lack of credibility. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would want my claim to be strong enough that the allocator would feel confident defending a decision to the org to award a large amount because you had done that work to make the claim solid and compelling. On the law firm side, they obviously want as many folks as possible to use them because otherwise they don't make money from those claims. If you choose to use them, they get a percentage. So in that situation, they are motivated to get the highest award possible and will be working with you to make that happen. There's also the corroborative component. If JLC does their jobs well and we communicate well with them, they should be able to take a ton of universal issues that each of us share and apply them to the other's claims or at least ask questions to determine if they're applicable. So if we assume that having an evidence-backed claim will significantly improve the award you receive, which is definitely not a guarantee, but seems pretty reasonable to me, the next question becomes, can you, will you, and do you want to create a compelling evidence-backed claim on your own? My answer to that personally is no. You'll be dredging up past trauma while trying to craft a legal claim with likely no prior experience doing this. The odds of doing it successfully to me seem slim and will likely be re-traumatizing and take a lot of time, involve personally reaching out to friends, family members, getting testimony, and other additional strains on relationship. Is it possible you'd end up with less as a result of hiring the law firm? Definitely. Is it likely? It really depends on the allocator and aspects of the process we won't know until we're in it. Regardless, the other component for me is that money hasn't just disappeared from the situation entirely. It's being paid to a law firm who, is also, who also seems to be responsible or at least heavily involved in handling the non-financial demands on the organization as part of this process. The lawyer in, in the recording mentioned that their firm did this for the USAA gymnastics settlement, and it was pro bono work that went on for years. Personally, I care more about these demands successfully preventing harm to future kids than the financial award component. And hopefully the money that flows into the firm for these reparations will help them be successful in spearheading that and helping us demand that change. I don't know, but I hope so. I think that's all I wanted to share of his testimony, but I really wanted to really point out what he's bringing up. He's bringing up the motivations of any side, right? And if, and I, it makes more and more sense to me that a part of the indoctrination that we receive growing up or being a part of uh, the Kundalini Yoga 3HO community is the indoctrination out of getting professional help. And that professional help can be in all scopes, but it could be medical help and it could be a, uh, financial help and it could be uh, you know, legal help. And we don't know that we're getting programmed out of professional help because we were so taught and trained to seek those professionals within our own community. And so this level of advocacy to see beyond our capacity to see what we can't yet see and feel, it's so important to really understand and see this process properly. This is not just write your emotional story on paper and, and share it. You know, th this, this reparations program didn't come from the benevolence of 3HO and SSSC when these things came to light. They've moved forward with this because there was an, a law firm with clients that were pushing them in a direction to move forward. We all want to see accountability and change, not just money, but money speaks, right? And this organization, the SSSC, speaks in terms of money, right? There's 
there's these organizations have run this way. So I think it does make a lot of sense to go with Justice Law Collaborative. And I thank you for that input um, from a fellow second gen. And I want you to hear a few more. So we're gonna go ahead and pause and let you hear from a few other second generation and what they are moving forward um, in their decision-making process for reparations, getting registered and getting attorney support, getting registered, doing it on your own, getting attorney support to get registered and move forward. All the options are available. Let's listen to some more second gens. Yeah, I'm Siri G. Uh, Lomenzo. I think going through it yourself might be hard. Um, so I chose not to for that reason, just because these lawyers, this is what they do. They know how to use the language uh, in a way that I don't. Uh, you know, I don't, I can't articulate some of the stuff that I feel, but when I explain it to them, they can go, oh yeah, that's blah, 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 blah. So they'll, they'll be able to put it into language that, um, you know, has the right vibe and sound for this kind of thing, instead of, you know, just me as myself, if I were to talk to these people, you know, eventually if they do interviews or whatever it is they're gonna do next, like, I know what I feel and I know that, but I don't have, I don't, First of all, I don't want to do that myself because I don't have time. I don't have energy. I've spent years and years on this shit and I'm tired and it's exhausting and it's hard and it's scary. And it's, you might not remember stuff. I don't remember a lot. So it's hard to give specifics. This is where the lawyers can, can uh, formulate your case for you without that insecurity or without that, that you know, feeling of, well, I didn't have it so bad, so whatever, you know, like, no, like, no, just, just whichever way, whichever way you go, I think it's fine. It's just a matter, I think, simply between doing it yourself or not, right? And I don't want to do it myself. I want, I, I want the lawyers to do it for me. I want them. I don't want to think about it. I know that they're working on it and I don't want to think about it until I have to. So, and I think that's, you know, it's good, good to have that choice. Hi, this is Dudham Leitz, uh, living in Portland. Um, I graduated from school in India in 2004. Um, and yeah, I grew up in, in 3HO ashram environments. Um, and just want to encourage anyone who's eligible to register for the reparations program. Um, even if you're not sure that you want to file a claim, um, it's good to register. The deadline is August 19th. Um, and if you don't register, you will not have the opportunity to make a claim after that. Um, whereas if you do register, you can always decide not to if you don't want to. Um, so if you think there's a possibility, I would, I would do the registration. Um, I <clears throat> am currently registered. I'm planning to use the Justice Law Collaborative Kim Doherty uh, as my representation, but I haven't signed on with them yet. So as of now, I'm, I'm registered and I'm representing myself um, and planning to change my representation to JLC in about two weeks. Um, this is Narankar here. Um, most, well, some of you might know me as Rishi Knotts. You know, I'm not 100% convinced that it's 
going to all work out seamlessly, but I am more than willing to be part of the process, um, knowing that we might not get what we want in the end. But one of the reasons why I think that I'm, my, my thought is that we've been two and a half years trying to express our concerns to 3HO, Sikh Dharma, um, and getting a lot of word salad in response and a lot of woo-woo, a lot of non-committal quote-unquote changes, uh, but that there really hasn't been a commitment to end the institutional abuse that we all experienced and that will likely continue. And that I don't speak, that I believe that 3HO just doesn't speak the same language as the rest of the world. Um, they kind of use their own vernacular. However, one language they are very adept at is the language of money. And this is how we're going to be able to hold them accountable and have them finally speak the same language as uh, the rest of the world and us. So as of now, I've registered through the conduit site. Um, it really did not take much time. I actually felt like the questions kind of prompted certain things that happened uh, to me, you know, and um, yeah, I think it took about 10 minutes. I have not uh, taken the help of an attorney. And I think my perspective on that was just that I really don't want, you know, A, to get my hopes up too much. Um, I feel I'm a little concerned that a lot of people in the second gen have high expectations uh, of this reparations. And I just feel like they're going to be disappointed, you know, and it's going to be another slap. Um, so, you know, that's my concern. And I, uh, I guess in talking to a few people, you know, I've had my perspective changed a bit that maybe talking to an attorney would actually be um, putting less energy into this and not having to um, be personally involved in uh, fighting for, you know, yourself again and having to go back through all of these things again. So I see the value in that as well. Um, so I'm not exactly sure about the attorney anymore. Um, but I, I definitely hope people, you know, at least take this first step to eligibility if, if that's, uh, something they feel that they can do. <clears throat> um, yeah, I guess that's my perspective. One thing that I really want to point out when you're receiving, hearing, and letting this even concept of the reparations program um, fall onto you is that there is no hierarchy of pain. You being involved in this process is not taking away from somebody else. So don't approach it that somebody else was hurt more or your harm doesn't matter or was it enough? The answer is yes. If you fit into one of the two categories that I read at the beginning of this podcast or that you can read in the Independent Healing and Reparations Protocol, if you fit into one of those categories, it's enough. Um, don't let your own trauma brain convince you that it's not enough or that the process is too hard. We're here to help you. The, the JLC is here to help you. 
um, Rishi Knotts put out a wonderful post that I reposted on my Instagram. And it says, what counts as harm? Neglect, lack of affection or compassionate touch, persistent hunger and malnourishment, denial and adequate medical care, delayed medical care. Uh, delayed medical care, dirty or soiled clothing and bedding, unsanitary or hazardous living spaces, prolonged absence and healthy uh, or of healthy stimulating activities, sexual abuse, inappropriate touching, fondling or penetration of a child, inappropriate sexual language towards a child, minor or junior, showing a child pornography, indecent exposure towards a child, failure to investigate or provide care when a child engages in sexual abuse towards another child. Bigotry, slurs or bullying direct at anyone on the basis of race, gender, sexual orientation, or gender expression, unsolicited remarks or questioning over sexual orientation, slurs or shaming for perceived gender nonconformity, body shaming, being made to believe there's, uh, uh, sorry, coercion, being made to believe there's only one option for you, being made to fear an authority figure so that you do what they want feeling bad for disagreeing or for wanting to do something different, being given inaccurate stories about retribution or outsized negative consequences. When any of these things are allowed to go on in a care educational setting and when caretakers ignore them repeated instances of harm, then it is considered institutional abuse. So I read these posts, you know, and more and more as I am dissecting my own trauma that I framed as independence or that I framed as achievement or that I framed as resilience and all these wonderful traits that actually I'm able to start processing and realizing um, are, are really institutional abuse. It helps me know that there are people that have already researched this and I'm not alone. Emotional abuse. Manipulation, gaslighting, exclusion, humiliation, victim blaming, shaming, being made to feel bad or afraid to tell anyone of your harm. Lasting trauma, prolonged separation from parents or family, being denied support after experiencing a traumatic event, not receiving care for your abuse or any traumatic event in a timely manner, witnessing accidents or death or experiencing excessive violence, chronic neglect and abuse, complex PTSD. Physical abuse. Beating, slapping, hitting, punching, pushing, or kicking by a caretaker or a bigger kid. Excessive or unexplained corporal punishment. Corporal punishment that causes remarkable pain or injury. Unreported or uncorrected peer violence. Spiritual abuse. Threats of excommunication from a shared belief system or cultural practice. Any devotional practice as a form of punitive penitence, a.k.a. karma yoga. Threats of harm that follow you in the afterlife. Threats of harm that take a supernatural form. Okay, so if you hear these different areas of abuse, you know, institutional abuse is not common language for a lot of us. And, and when things get normalized, we can easily think something's normal and then not even know there's a name for it outside of the context of our own sense of self. So I just, again, want to reiterate that this reparations program is even in existence because of the courage of uh, those of you that came forward in 2020 to find a, a justice law collaborative. They've worked diligently to bring forth not just, um, you know, monetary compensation, but also areas of reparation of what it would mean to really um, 
create change in these organizations if the if the SSSC really wants to create change, what that would mean. Um, and this program exists for all of us because of that initial few. And I feel really good about that, knowing that um, JLC stands and has stands for us and really knows that there are um, many stories, some worse than others, but all tied into a collective fabric. And if you fit into one of the two categories of being a minor, mental, physical, sexual, or emotional abuse by a peer or a staff or leader, or the other category of sexual abuse um, by a leader or staff or teacher, um, no matter what category or when you join the organization, please be a part of this program. If you need support to be a part of it, we're here to help you get registered by the August 19th. I am just a trauma healing advocate over here, act activist, advocating that every one of us be a part of this program that qualifies. I don't know if something like this is coming around again. And I also want you to know I don't have a lot of hopes for any of it because I have long divorced myself from hope and belief in 3HO or SSSC or anything that they say they stand for. That's just me and my healing process. And I really want to be a part of something that proves that wrong. And um, it's why I keep my distance from my own well-being. And then I lean in um, to those people that have been doing the research and doing the uh, due diligence and doing the things necessary for more of us to come on board. So I hope this episode has helped. If you have any questions about getting yourself um, personally registered or um, uh, getting a hold of Justice Law Collaborative, feel free to reach out to me directly at gn at gurunishan.com. And I thank you for your ongoing support of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast. Um, this podcast is really done out of a labor of my own love and a labor of my own healing. It's a part of my healing process to speak these things out loud and um, to be an activist for the active storytelling of each of our personal experiences so that we get to help each other heal through the revolutionary experience of listening. So thank you again. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can go to gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. And thank you for being here. <laughs>